Hello. Welcome to Waldman's Words with Jed Fuchs, Emily Burke, Scott Waldman, who is me, and Mike Henneberger, writer, soldier, dude. Wow. Accurate. Beautiful. Mike Henneberger is not here yet, but he will be here in the next three-ish minutes, and you'll be able to hear his voice. But uh, this episode, we talked a lot about Mike's book. If you have not read it yet, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance. Do it. I recommend that. I recommend that you just check out what he has to say on his socials because he's an angry young man, but he's well-spoken. And that's the best kind of person on social media. If you're just angry, no good. If you're just well-spoken, also no good. It sounds like a uh, Christian mom being forced to say something nice about their emo 17-year-old. Hey, man. If you're <laughs> he's happy, an angry you're young happy man. But he's well-spoken. <laughs> he's articulate. I'm just happy he's expressing himself. Yeah, I don't care what he has to say, and I don't agree with it. Anyway, back to Mike Kenneberger. And <laughs> I just want to say I'm very happy that we had him on the show. And if you're listening right now, immediately after you checked him out on Twitch, he's one of the first guests that we had on our Twitch. We just had Frank Zumo on and Mike. And then I believe the next one we have is Nick Wheeler from the All-American Rejects. Oof. We got hit after hit. And that's because, you know, Mike, his episode that you're about to hear, going to be phenomenal. But on Twitch, the hour before the episode airs, we go like extra hard and extra goofy. So make sure you're catching us there the hour before this episode airs. Extra hoofy. <laughs> yes, correct. It's so weird because Adobe doesn't really set limits for us on what we can and cannot say on the air. And yet, like on actual Adobe, we're a little more... I'm not going to use the word conservative, uh, but we're a little bit toned down. Whereas on the Twitch, I don't know what happens about being on Twitch, but it goes off the rails. Alcohol. Basically for Jed's birthday, he told me that I had to. And since he's my boss, considering the show is Waldman's words, he's my boss. And he told me I had to drink with him and peer pressure is good. So I guess maybe in the Adobe studios, I'm more Mitt Romney and here I'm more Bernie Sanders. Mitt in the streets, Bernie in the sheets. Hey, yo. Well, oh, yeah. Mike, this episode's about you. And because it's about you, I'm going to point you to another angry young man, Jed, who's going to close this out. And if you're listening to this show, thank you. Keep listening because the actual show is going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy Waldman's words here on Adobe Radio with today's guest, Mike Henneberger. And we have 20 more seconds. Ah, well, in that case, remember to love yourself. Times be crazy right now. Take a second, tell yourself you're phenomenal, and don't ever stop doing that. Hey, self, you're phenomenal. Hello. We are here on Waldman's Words with Mike Henneberger, and normally I shout out my wonderful co-hosts, but I'm not going to do that right now because not only is Mike a fantastic writer, journalist, and he'll go into his depth of field, you know, in the media world as well. But he is a U.S. veteran. And I learned just before we did this episode that to be a veteran, you don't have to be deployed as long as you've served in the armed forces. And I just want to say on behalf of Adobe, Jed, Emily, and myself, and America, 
we'd like to thank you. Thanks, Anne. Welcome on to the show, Mike. Uh, I'm Jed Fuchs. That's Emily Burke. But we are not as important as what Scott just said or you right now. Yep. I know we started out kind of like on a tone that was like reverential or somber (laughs) or whatever. But I just wanted to get that out of the way that what I do is not as important as what you've done. Ah, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh... (laughs) fine. Make me feel better about myself. This yeah, is your turn. No, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That that's a whole conversation in itself. But uh, let's let's move on from that, I guess. Well, he's also just got so many other qualities to him, Scott, and that's why he's on Waldman's words today. Is he's a he's not just a veteran of the armed forces; he's a veteran of the entertainment field. I could argue that, and also shout out to Big Picture Media for facilitating this because you guys are good at what you do. Mike initially Amazing. hit me up about it, and then they took the reins. But yeah, let's go. Let's go back, back, back. I'm actually holding your book, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, right now. But he is. Can, I can't confirm he is actually holding it in his hands. He's oh yes. pointing No, this is a um, I'm telling you complete truth, and it even is a punk rock book that says not for resale on it. So I win. But let's talk about the very beginning. So where were you born and raised and what music, even though I read the chapter one, the foreword to your book, the people listening to the show might not have. So what music was a part of your household where you grew up? Yeah, um, I was born in San Diego, California, which I don't think I mentioned in the book and might be surprising to a lot of people who even know me because I, uh, my dad was in the Navy and so we got transferred to Texas and I grew up in Texas and that's very much a part of who I am. Like I, I definitely feel more like a Texan, although I've been in New York for eight years now and I'm, I'm feeling more and more like a New Yorker, but, uh, but yeah, so I grew up in Texas and I mean, so naturally like there was a lot of country music around me. Um, but, uh, and my mom is Mexican and, you know, speaks Spanish and, like that whole side of my family. And so there was a lot of Spanish music around me too. Um, And, um, but yeah, my dad listened to everything though. Um, He had a lot of records um, growing up, which I talk about in the book and um, everything from the cure to Springsteen. Conway Twitty. Conway Twitty. Yeah. Um, You know, old, old country like that and Patsy Cline and wham. Um, I mean, it's like, which doesn't sound like as weird, if you just consider like it was the eighties and it was like, he was into, you know, radio period, I guess. So how long did you live in San Diego? I moved to Texas when I was like uh, six or seven. Okay. And give me a frame of reference as far as timeline. What year were you born? Cause I'm trying. Yeah. So yes. So I was born in 82. I moved to Texas around like 88, I think I'm pretty sure it was 88. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a year older than you, so I'm just right. trying to think. Like, the music that I was listening to growing up, I didn't have, like, parents really show me too much other than what was in the household, and I loved The Who and I loved The Beatles. But I'd say Weird Al was my most important oh, in the 80s. Uh, are you setting me up here? Or did, I don't know if you're talking about this. Am I? Um, the very first cassette tape I ever bought with my own money was Weird Al's Even Worse. Well, you're bad. Yeah, yes. I wasn't going to say you're fat. 
No, well, weird. thanks. Um, <laughs> although four months in quarantine, I've definitely packed some on. Well, they call it the quarantine 15. So, uh, so it's, it's yeah. nice to have another old man on the show because yeah. both Jed and Emily were born in the 90s, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's that's weird to me whenever I see that too. Yep, and, and we're my like son was born in 2019. We're like people we could drive, we could drink. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can drive, but you're a person. Yeah. I can drive not very well. Yeah. We can listen to Weird Al albums. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. your Weird Al albums of your childhood are probably like white and nerdy. Ooh, wow. White and nerdy. Yeah. That was a gem and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Amish Paradise? Are you kidding me? That's a good song. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you Amish Paradise. I right. could go about Al forever, but we're talking about Mike today. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't talk. Yeah. You really can't. Honestly, you really can't talk about Mike without talking about Weird Al because that, I mean, that just ex- explains so much about a person when the very first cassette tape they ever bought was a Weird Al tape. Like, not anything that was on the radio or anything that the cool kids were listening to that's for damn sure. But, uh, but yeah. And then that just kind of really did shape who I was. Like I, I've been a class clown my whole, you know, my whole life. It, it like taught me to, it definitely like taught me to not take things too seriously. Like, even though this book is pretty serious, it's like, if I took things that serious, I'd probably be dead, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it says a lot about a person when they're, you know, very into Weird Al. I'm curious, where in Texas did you grow up exactly? Uh, I grew up in a small town called Kingsville, which is like two hours north of Mexico, about four hours south of Austin, um, like close to the the Gulf Coast. Um, okay. Yeah, and it was like... I'm trying to think, like, what's a music capital in Texas is Austin, right? Yeah, Austin is the live music capital of the world. Um, according to them, and, uh, and I mean, it, <laughs> according, it's, according to them, yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, but it fits. Long Island, it's the same thing. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it it definitely fits Austin. They they do have a ton of live music there and venues as well. At least they did before COVID. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I grew up like pre. We're talking like not pre-internet, but barely internet. And also I was super poor. So like we didn't exactly have internet anyway. Um, well, neither did the yeah. state of Texas for a while. Yeah, so. you're probably right about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I used to have to drive like me and my friends would drive like eight hours to Dallas for concerts. We would drive four hours to Austin for concerts, four hours to Houston. Um, yeah, I mean, that was just our life. And, you know there there's not much of a reason to go south of san antonio for bands um but uh yeah so i didn't really have like a great music scene growing up we had to really travel we had to really travel for it well then that was going to be my question is that did that actually sort of help spur your personal musical development because like oh was corpus christi not a big live music venue like was that not a big place for you to go did he drive played there once Oh, yep. I felt great <laughs> because... as a Waldman playing in Corpus Christ. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting because I is Waldman like uh, is that a Jewish name? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't meet a Jewish person until I was 22 years old and moved to Los Angeles. There you go. Uh, and your name could pass though. Is Jewish though? I know. Oh, yeah. 
a lot of people have have thought that. Um, and you know what? The Jewish guy I met in L.A. Well, obviously, I met a lot of Jewish people in L.A. <laughs> oh, no, there's only one. <laughs> yeah, the one, the one guy. Um, no, this guy like became my best friend. We became writing partners and roommates. And a uh, writer? Yeah, no. in L.A. <laughs> yeah, um, and a c- comedy writer. Um, but uh, but no, and he was from Texas. <laughs> Everything's but, bigger in Texas. So they do exist in Texas. Including the Jews. Yes. So, but then, so did your relative isolation kind of help drive your personal musical style? Like, where is the nearest music store for children listening to the show? You used sure. to have to drive to a store yeah. to buy music. Well, we definitely had one in the very shitty mall in our in our town that had like eight stores. Um, I don't remember what it, it wasn't like a Sam Goody. It wasn't like an FYE or anything like that, but it was a small chain. I just can't remember what it was called. Um, but no, so 45 minutes away was Corpus Christi and there was a very cool record shop there called the record hole. And they used to promote punk shows in Corpus from like small punk bands at the time, which, um, you know, that music would make its way down to Kingsville via my skateboarding friends who were in college or who had licenses to drive to Corpus Christi. Um, so yeah, there would be like mixed cassette tapes just going around our group of skater friends. Um, you know, we would meet up every Tuesday in a parking lot at the, at the university in our town, people would bring ramps out and rails and, you know, we would all just skate all night and, cassette tapes got passed around and one of them just had like all punk on one side with like um blink 182 um i remember unwritten law was on there San and then the other punk. you just named two consecutive San <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then on the other side was all ska and it was like skanking pickle mustard plug Ooh, um the rudiments um stuff like that and so that's kind of how it like found its way to me um, and with skate videos back in the day too. Yeah, was, yeah, uh, totally. Like, Epitaph stuff, like Pennywise was a huge one there. But when I think of Texas punk bands, you might laugh at me. I think of like Phoenix TX, who used to be called oh, yeah. River Phoenix. Yeah, totally. Bowling Pursuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like Phoenix TX. I never really got into Bowling Pursuit. I like some songs. And- really? You like Weird Al? They're kind of like yeah. Weird Al was like a <laughs> punk band. That's true, but I like... I liked weird. I found Weird Al when I was like six, so I, you know, it was easy for me to to take him on and, and like man, grow, I still love grow with him. You what? Yeah, I still love Hammer. Hammer like MC Hammer. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, did you play any yeah, instruments? I I play a little bit of guitar, not well enough to actually like play in a band, but well enough to sit in my by myself and learn tabs to songs you played for you know in the five figures of people we can get into that yeah. later i was the lead singer of two bands ah uh, yes jed and i odd at the same time emily <laughs> yeah he got up on a technicality not yep. playing an instrument exactly but... wait exactly. emily normally the one who asked this ask the um the question about the name oh yeah the, okay this is we have a question on this show that we have to ask everybody who comes on. 
Um, and we describe it as the frog in the morning, because if you've ever heard the quote, we eat one live frog every morning, nothing bad could happen to you the rest of the day or nothing worse. Uh, so it's like that. You get this over with, the rest of the interview is going to be great. You need okay. to <laughs> texting me the whole time how much fucking hate and misery he's in right now over this party. <laughs> we need to know your high school band names. Oh, my God. I mean, look, this this. I haven't, I'm going to, I'm going to like let it all out here because I haven't got exclusive content on Waldman's world. No. <laughs> oh man. I, I really want to like leave this for the end though, because uh, I feel like I'm going to lose so much interest from you guys after this. No, the cringy it is the better for us. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we leave the cliffhanger no. for the listeners no. to listen this all the way it. through? This isn't Mike's moment. This is Walden's <laughs> words, okay? So. I'm kind of okay with that. Get them to listen through the entire show, and at the very end, you'll reveal it. Oh, uh, Yeah, but I'll give you a tease. I'll give you a good tease. Boom. And look, after the tease, you can tell me whether you want me to go all the way or not. You I know. want you to go all the way. <laughs> We're talk- we are talking about high school here. What is this, so, prom? Yeah. yeah. Um, so my first band was a Christian ska band. Oh. Ooh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you know the name's going to be cringy. Oh, I'm uh, so <laughs> Um, And I played in that band for five West years. Direction? No, I wish. Oh, that's way that's cooler. Good. No, Scott, it was Consecration. Oh, <laughs> but I will tell you this. The first name of the band was Attack of the Giant Babies. Only, oh! Only because I... Like I that. And, and that, means, that means the real name is worse than that. Um, <laughs> but that was only because... I liked making flyers by cutting pictures of babies out of catalogs and putting these giant baby pictures over small pictures of cities and making our flyers like that. Wait, so Attack like, of the Giant Babies, was there an exclamation point at the end of the band name? No, there wasn't. It was after the attack. Uh, that's yeah. so funny. You were like cutting it out of magazines? Yeah, this is the 90s, 97. Oh my god. Yeah, and then going to Kinko's, right? Yep, yeah. No. No way. Oh (laughs) man, I can't wait now. Our band band name was based on the potentials of flyers. Right, what looked good enough. So now wait, uh, uh, was was religion, two-part question, was religion a part of your life and musical life growing up? And two, do you like Five Iron Frenzy? I love Five Iron Frenzy. <laughs> and um, I actually write about them in the book. There's a, there's the a part where I... Uh, yeah, I love the Supertones too. I love Five Iron Frenzy better because they weren't so like Jesus-y and everything. Yeah. And they, they actually yeah. knew how to like use metaphors. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Supertones but, uh, are pretty explicit, but not in the way yeah. you <laughs> Yeah, and they were still good as... It, to me, they were still good as like musicians of like you know, writing ska songs. So I liked them anyway, but, uh, but yeah, so there's a part in the book where I, I smoke weed on the way to see five iron frenzy's reunion show. You wouldn't know they were a religious group. If you were just listening, I didn't know right away. Every time yeah. I see reliant K I'm all messed out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've actually, I've sent the book to a couple members of five iron and that one of the guitarists from reliant K. Um, so and and um, they and I've heard back from the from the sax player of Five Iron, and she said she liked the book. 
Oh, so that, was, that was nice. That's dope. Um, if only they would have listened to the demos I handed them 20 years ago. Oh, man. <laughs> we'd, be, well, we'd be here for a totally different reason. No, or like you'd be too cool to be on this show because you'd be like this rock star. Ah, I don't know, man. I, I feel like coming from uh, the small town and kind of like the poor kid thing, I feel like no matter what I accomplish, I will always be that and like humble about it. Um, so I hope that's I hope that's true. I mean, I won an Emmy at Comedy Central and I, I didn't become a dick. So I think that like what? that's a good measure of it. Well, that that definitely okay. destroys my transition <laughs> question. Wait. Wait, was what? that what to the Emmy part or the I'm not a dick part? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a dick and life is a nightmare. No. Um, so, well, the Emmy thing, that's fucking cool. I want a spelling bee. So, <laughs> but let's get to it. So you played on a stage for a lot of people and you were the lead singer of two separate bands. You don't need to name yeah. the name, but how the hell did you do that? Because local bands from small towns don't get opportunities like that. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as what I'm doing right now. You know, like this book is self-published, but I think it's it's super important to me, but I think it's, you know, can help a lot of people. And and so I'm doing everything I can to get the word out about it. And it feels absolutely no different than when I was booking my Christian ska band for a two and a half month national tour you know, calling from Kingsville, Texas around the country. Calling. Um, yeah, calling. Um, and uh, yeah, calling, like routing a tour based on, you know, ads I saw in magazines um, where bands were touring and, um, you know, using a giant paper desk calendar and filling in dates on that. And then uh, using Printing a giant out directions on MapQuest. Not even that, man. We oh, had a yeah. giant spiral truck stop um, atlas the first yes. tour, which was in 2000. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that like I I wanted to get out of my small town and I wasn't like great at school. So I wasn't going to like have a lot of career opportunities. And I loved playing music. And I mean, till I was 21 years old or 22 years old, I was pretty sure I was going to be a rock star, you know, because I knew I had the the hustle for it. And I knew my bands were just as good as the bands we I loved growing up who were touring and making a living out of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I was pretty confident I had like we had what it took. Um, and the reason that stuff it didn't I mean, I, I'm not saying obvious like that it didn't happen because of this, but like my bands, I had nothing to I had no say in my bands breaking up, you know, I just, and that's a little bit of the lead singer thing in like making up for not playing an instrument. You might take over like the management and the booking of the band. And so I just put everything I had into making my bands successful. Um, but then when the rest of your band decides they don't want to be a band anymore, then it doesn't matter how hard you work. So I have a question get- for you because you, you said something and, and you, We're talking about a bunch of stuff related to being in a band, but I don't want to gloss this over. Can you explain the hustle that comes from being in a band? Because a lot of people listening to the show are young musicians, and 
sometimes it doesn't matter how good your band is. If you totally. guys aren't working well together behind the scenes, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I'm still friends with most of the people I played in those bands with, and it's a lot easier now that we're all adults and look back on kind of the stupid things we fought about or let, you know, destroy us. Um, but yeah, that's a huge part of it. And it's harder when you're young, it's harder when you're younger and you know, you don't really know how to handle all that. But yeah, the hustle side, I mean, it, I tell people all the time, if I had Facebook and Instagram, I mean, I used to say if I had MySpace when I was in a band, I'd be a fucking rock star because I managed. <laughs> yeah, I did have AOL. Um, and that got some people out to shows across the country. Like I had my AOL name canceled by AOL for sending out too many band invites. Oh, yeah. And see, it was still so new to me then in 2000 that I didn't even know how to like what potential there was there for sharing stuff with people. Um, but yeah, so like I was, I mean, it blows my mind right now to like have all this stuff and it's helping me with the book to take advantage of like social media to, to promote it. Um, but yeah, man, I didn't, I did my first band. We didn't even have, I mean, neither of my bands had a MySpace. Um, we didn't have MySpace when I was in my first band, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you gotta do all the work, like even, and this is, it's, it's so applicable to putting a book out also because like major publishers are just like major labels. Like they want to own your product. They, they want to do what they think is best for the marketing. And they're still run by the same people who are out of touch from all that stuff. So they're not going to do the best job in getting, you know, your music or your book or whatever to the people you think need to see it. And then they just give up on it. If it's not, giving them the results that they need it to get, you know? Whereas like right now I'm running my book, just like an independent band would run a label. Cause that's also how I learned. I mean, not a label a record, like an independent band would push their record. Cause that's how I learned, you know? And so I just, you know, try to push it out there. And I, that's what I meant by, you know, before we started recording, I'm juggling so much right now, just trying to like keep that going and keep it in front of people and, and it has nothing to do with like the money because I don't make any money from it, like barely anything. But it's because like just like a, you know, an album, I believe in it and I want people to I want people to see it and read it. Yeah, man, the the concise nature of that answer was actually pretty unheard of for this show. Oftentimes an open ended question can get an open ended answer. But like Scott said before we started recording, you're a writer, so you know how to talk to it. <laughs> Uh, we actually only have a few minutes left here in segment one because time flies when you're asking personal questions. <laughs> uh, but to get us more into the modern era, you said you thought you were going to be a rock star until 21-ish. Yeah. Did you go to school for any of your current skills or were you just living the rock star life until you hit young adulthood? Um. Well, most of that rock star life was the Christian rock star life. So, <laughs> uh, to, um, but uh I did go to college, but not for writing, not for journalism. I went eventually, it took me 10 years to get my bachelor's degree. Um, I went to college three times and uh, I got a communications degree in like media, like it, it's a bachelor's in communications, but it was like focused on media studies. So I took video classes and film 
courses and so, stuff like that. But uh, not really any any writing classes because I just did all that on my own. Like I've always been, you know, a writer. Um, so yeah, I didn't feel like I wanted to learn any way to do it other than the way I was already doing it. Well, that's a perfect cool. note to leave on and enjoy these Viagra ads or whatever song they're playing by All Time Low, Simple Plan, or Jed and the Fuchs. And we'll be right back with part two of Waldman's Words with Mike Henneberger. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Waldman's Words with Mike Henneberger. We have Jed Fuchs. We have Scott Waldman. And uh, we're going to just continue on from our first part. We spoke about early life, Texas, Christian rock bands, um, and now we want to learn more about what Mike does now, uh, especially in terms of writing and everything he's done after high school. We're pumped, man. So we're going to get back to grilling you on the hard yeah. stuff. You did go to a little college for your current set of skills, but you said it took you 10 years. And I imagine you did other things in those 10 years. Yeah. Um, the first time I went was after my first band broke up. Um and I went back to my little town to go. And then I, or no, the first time I went was when I was 17 and got out of high school, waiting for the other band members to get out of high school. The second time was after my band broke up. And that's when I went uh, for two years as a history major, um, just because I've always been interested in that. And I thought I was going to be a teacher. Like I was so broken from my band of five years breaking up that I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And so... Um, it was very much one of those, those who can't do teach things. Huh. Well, I mean, I don't think that's every teacher at all, but that is a lot of people end up doing that. And so I was just so lost that I didn't know what to do. And so I went back to college for two years and that's when my brother and I started our, we started a zine called the vent, um, where we would, you know, bitch about the college because the college newspaper, was owned by the college and didn't really let people bitch about the college. So we gave people that opportunity and we did it ourselves. And that's kind of where the whole Wait, writing thing tell started. Me that Walmart news isn't accurate about Walmart. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's how we, that's how the whole writing thing started for me. I mean, in this sense, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we were writing like satirical stuff in there. We were interviewing bands, like trying to, you know, expose our little town to the music we were listening to. Um, so that's how like my music journalism started. Um, and this was also like a thing we would print on a computer, go to a copy machine, cop, make all the copies, fold them over by hand, hand staple them, actually go stand out at the college and hand them to people. Um, and that was how like my writing career started. And even today, 50, uh, 17 years later, that, zine has been a like newsprint alternative newspaper in Corpus Christi, Texas for like 15 years. Like my brother's still running it. Um, and it's very much like a localized onion. Um, he oh. writes, he writes satirical news about Corpus Christi. And then, you know, that's where I started interviewing like nationally touring bands, um, that would come to Corpus or that, you know, we'd go to San Antonio to interview just to bring to like, let Corpus Christi know about these bands that weren't getting down there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I did. Um, you know, early two thousands. And then I moved to LA for a couple of years to, you know, try my hand at writing there. 
didn't really, you know, I wrote a lot, but I didn't really get anywhere with it. Um, I moved to Nashville after that, and I was a booking agent at a little independent record label. And then I moved back to Texas and joined the army because I was still lost and directionless and pretty hopeless. Um, How old so were I joined, you? I was 25 when I enlisted. So instead um, of running for the House of Representatives, you chose to join the army. Yeah. It was either or. It was one of the two. There's no, and, there's, there's no political future for me. <laughs> but, well, I mean, with your punk past, you, you had no option. And yeah. so, sometimes we have to stop the guests on the show and be like, wait, wait, you just said too much. Let's go back. But <laughs> we, we, we've got to go. We've got to go, man. Your life has been on a quick trajectory. So yeah. I'm glad we're already at 25. You yeah. entered the army. You have this history of writing and music. And but that was where you thought you should be at the time. Yeah, but yeah. And I mean, here's where like things can probably speed up because the army really fucked me up. Like, even though I didn't get deployed, like I dealt with a lot of shit in there that that I, you know, I was in the army. I got diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. Um, and, you know, to, to give the like easy story about it is that like, it's the whole, they break you down so they can build you back up thing. And I yeah. think, I think when you're in there at 25 years old, you know, with two and a half years of college and seven years of living on your own and thinking for yourself, they have to work a lot harder to break you down. Yeah. And, and they did. And, um, it really, it really messed me up. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's actually kind of what leads to where we are right now with the book, because this book was written two years after I, like two to three years after I got out of the army and over like a three year period. So it's, it's a memoir of a time in my life from like 2011 to 2013. And I got out of the army in 2009. And, uh, so I was still very messed up, like as far as like the depression and anxiety went because I wasn't really working on taking care of myself um, like I have over the last few years. And so, yeah, I mean, that army experience, the main thing, like I joined so I could find some purpose and did I did assist in that intentionally or unintentionally because no. a lot of really, because a lot of times yeah. when I hear about someone in the military is because generations of their family have been involved in that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the case in my family. Like my, my dad's dad was also in the Navy. Um, um, and, uh, I think, I think he was in the Navy. I'm pretty sure he might've been in the army also, or might've been in the army. Don't remember. But, um, but yeah, so that's why I said military. I want to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so my dad's dad was also in the military and, uh, I remember bringing up long before I joined the army that I was thinking about it. And my dad told me not to, um, really? he's, yeah, he suggested against it. No real conversation about it. Cause I wasn't like super serious about it, but, uh, he told me that I shouldn't do it. Um, because, because and, he was against the idea or because he was against the idea for his son doing it, knowing you. I don't know. Like I said, we didn't really have a conversation about it. And, but I will say that everyone who knew me thought it was a stupid idea for me to join the army because I was like a, you know, an anti-authority 
mostly like I want to say I, w- I wasn't really a pacifist, but I w- didn't get in a lot of fights or anything. You know, they I wasn't like people for being anti-authority. Like I'll tell you the the honest truth is they actually were going to draft my father for Vietnam in the sixties. And he didn't make any efforts in doing this. He just, they just said he does not respond well to authority, which actually saved his life. Man, I wish they would like have asked that question of me. I don't know if it was as simple as, hi, what's your name? Do you respond well to authority? Okay. No. (laughs) No. Okay. Bye-bye. No, but it, but it's such an important thing. Like that's one of the biggest issues with the military is that the screening process is so bad because they just want to put people in it. And, and it's not that hard. Sorry. It's not that hard to like find out if somebody's not going to work well in it, you know? And I mean, I wish I had this stat off the top of my head because I do a lot of, uh, like every year the department of defense puts out a report about suicides in the military. And it really triggers me when I read it. Um, because I've, I've been over the last few years is I've been working really hard to help people out in the military who deal with mental illness, but there is a huge percentage of suicides in the military of people who never got deployed. Like everybody, everybody thinks that it's PTSD from war, which is a huge problem, obviously, but a lot of people kill themselves in the military who have never seen combat. Private pile and full metal jacket. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Wow. That's, yeah, he totally. He hazed so much, he went fucking nuts. And that's exactly what it is. Not, and, you know, not straight up like hazing, like people would think of it, but just that it, they call it failure to adapt. And that's exactly what it is. But they don't just let you out for that, you know? Wow. And for historical context, this is in the mid-thousands. This is in the height of the Bush era and two wars. Uh, well, I, I got in... Um, in 2008. And so I voted for Obama from, you know, by absentee ballot that I had to mail in the, through the U S postal service. You mean when they had mailboxes? Yeah. So I'm assuming these things called mailboxes. Yeah. So I'm assuming it got counted. Okay. Oh, interesting (laughs) then. So it was actually later in the overall engagement, but still in the height of, you know, the operations. Yeah. Yeah, So I definitely enlisted during Bush's second term, which is also super stupid to, of me. Um, but that's how lost I was, man. Like, that's how directionless I was and just had no idea what to do. Well, then, not to gloss over it then, but did you feel like through your experiences there and with the skills that you gained there that you were more well prepared to tackle the next stage of your life? Not at all. <laughs> um, ah, the, that the, was just the, like the setup that fell down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but in a good way. I know. I think it. I think it set set it up perfectly because no, I do too. That, that's the that's the that's the the crazy realization I had when I got out of the military was that I joined to find a sense of purpose, but I did find a sense of purpose. It was just totally different than what I thought I would get out of it, and that's helping people in the military who deal with mental illness. And also, it taught me like I so consciously had this realization, stop doing things spontaneously. Like that was the worst experience of your life. Cause you just fucking do whatever you want. And you move to LA and you move to Nashville and you move to Texas and you join the army. That was horrible. And it literally almost killed you. And you and should have joined the military on the whim. Just oh, totally. Something like yeah. that. That's, we, 
We try yeah. not to give too much blanket advice here on the show, but that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty good. I think that's a pretty really good one. That's an easy put one. Put some thought yeah. into it. It's kind of like, yeah. I mean, I'm glad it got mentioned because I feel like a lot of people, especially in entertainment too, they're like, trust your gut. Just do it. Take the leap of faith. <laughs> you have to take risks. You have yeah. to. Do and like, I think a lot of people get carried away with that. Yeah. Um, you know, Jed and I were born and raised in Los Angeles. LA is kind of known for being the place that people get out of their small towns and going to yeah. make it big in LA. And and it doesn't work out a lot of the time. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that enough. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, that's like definitely what I try to talk about because I a lot of people like, you know, it's, and it's great to have such kind of cool things happen throughout my life. But like, I definitely want to make it clear that there were a lot of like speed bumps and, you know, failure, like well, you, you could see them as bottom. failures. Exactly. Yeah. Like you could see them as failures too, but I don't see them that way. You know, I feel like as cliche as it is, like as long as you let it be a learning experience, then it's not a complete failure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is important for people to, to, to realize that too, to just put a little more thought into things before you do it. Certainly. Um, like, yeah, like if, if you're unsure whether to ask X or Y person out on a date, give that a go. But if you're going to go into basic training, maybe think it through. Yeah. So let's get into it. So you are a writer and a journalist. I'd love for you to talk about Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, which is literally why you're on this show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I, I, wrote, I started writing this book. A couple years after I got out of the army, at the lowest low of my depression and anxiety, um, not intentionally. Like I, I mean, if you read the book, like it takes place over a weekend um, in a hotel room that was part of a prize that I won as a concert photographer um, in this contest that Live Nation and Nikon held, <clears throat> and I had the best concert photography uh, photo. And a really cool picture I have of Set Your Goals. Well, I was about to say um, Ink and Pickle, but Set Your Goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if there were even digital cameras when I saw Skank and Pickle, which was my third concert I ever went to in my life. Oh, wow. Um, cool. which, and I have to say, I meant to say this earlier, first concert I ever went to in my life was actually August 12th, just a couple days ago was the anniversary, 1996, Blink-182 in Corpus Christi, Texas. Woo! After, yeah. After Cheshire Cat, yeah, um, and before friend. before they were ever on the radio, yep. five five dollar all ages show, um, two hundred people there maybe, and uh, Unwritten Law opened for them and a band called China Drum, and that was the first concert I ever went to. Bro. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's what I meant when like the record hole would bring small punk bands. That's who they would bring, like Cheshire Cat, Blink One Eighty Two, and like a $5 all ages show. You felt like um, you were in a carousel. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to be pulled by someone else's strings, but or you won the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the hotel room. You're yeah. there. Yeah. And so I was going, this is when I was in New York um, for an internship and I was seeing this girl who was like, it was just a, very weird kind of complicated relationship. And so it was really like messing with my head. 
And I knew that I was going to lock myself in that hotel room and write, but I didn't know what I was going to write. And I'm most of this book in this hotel room. Sorry, messed. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh yeah, messed. Um, my wife has a fun messed story um, that I don't like to hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that makes it sound a lot worse. Nothing happened. She, nothing happened. She was just invited back to the bus, if you, but didn't go. But didn't go. So I had no idea what I was going to write when I was in there, and I, as stated in the book. Took a lot of drugs, drank a lot of scotch. Um, I, I took a lot of Adderall and Xanax and uh, just wanted to focus on writing. But since I also have ADD, I couldn't really focus on anything. And even though I managed to write, um, it actually somehow turned into this like weird like memoir of where, what my brain focused on during that period. And there's a lot of flashbacks about like other times that I thought I was in love um, here in New York city. Um, And uh, yeah, so it all kind of just spewed out over, over that weekend. And, you know, after that weekend, I, I set it aside for a little while because it was a very dark weekend and I didn't want to go back to it to finish it. But eventually I think I just got, you know, a little healthier and managed to, to finish it. Um, and then I just put the book aside for another like five years because I was too scared to let anybody know about, you know, how fucked up I was at that point. And then you made it out alive, my man. Yeah. Thanks, man. There are a few instances in there that, you know, it's surprising that I made it out alive because there have been multiple times in my life where I, I wasn't intentionally suicidal, but also didn't care if I, I, you know, I was reckless and I was careless and could have died um, from the amount of drugs and alcohol that I took. Um, but I guess all that uh, that five years in the Christian ska band earned me some uh, some credit and kept yeah. me alive. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, someone looking out for you. At least, at least some internal training <laughs> maybe kicked in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gosh, damn, bro. And again, I don't mean to gloss over any of this, but you're such a multi-hyphenate. We got to make sure we talk about everything with the time that we have left here on the show, which is coming rapidly to an end, sadly. Less than five minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's the sign. That's actually not Scott. That's on the soundboard. That wasn't and me. Hit that button. Well. Yeah. We use that every episode. Right. Uh, you... So uh, then what comes next? Even though the five years of not touching the book, did you, how did you win an Emmy? Uh, get yeah. back to that, please. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that was when I was an interning at Comedy Central. And then I went back to college um, to, f- I was in college at that time. Did they give but I went. Emmys? No, uh, <laughs> I'm getting to that. that so I, I was in college at the time. And then I went back to Texas to finish college for one semester and Comedy Central hired me, and I was a I worked in digital media and social media production there for some different shows. I worked on a autism benefit special that they did called Night of Too Many Stars, and as a digital producer on that, um, all the digital media stuff we did for that show was better than the digital media stuff that Game of Thrones did, um, Homeland did. Um, Breaking Bad, Conan's show, um, and ours was just better than all of theirs. And so we won an Emmy for it. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like it. The thing is, is I of course was excited and thought it was and think it's amazing. Like I know how I, I think it's very cool. And, um, but mostly because like, it's one of those things that I feel like somebody from, you know, my town and growing up the way that I grew up, like shouldn't accomplish, you know, or like it should, everybody should be able to, you know, achieve their dreams, but it's very, I never thought like it was, yeah, it's less likely. Um, and so I think it's cool in that sense, but I also like, don't talk it up a lot because it was a long time ago. Now at this point it was, you know, 2013 and, um, you know, it's that whole writer, um, self consciousness thing of like, I don't want, I, am I a one hit wonder? Like, you know, like all like doubting yourself, that self doubt thing. And, uh, I'm always going to have that. So even though like this book is doing pretty well right now and people are excited about it and told me that they like it and they think it's good. That's great. I'm excited about that, but I'm always going to have those little, like, doubts you know in in a year you know i feel like i it's the curse of going on tour when you're 17 wow you you have you have to like holy shit i just i just turned 18 on the road and spent two and a half months playing music what do i do next that tops that so like i just always want to keep you win a fucking emmy yeah i know but then what do you do you know ah but then what Man, uh, you're so great because you're so raw and honest and like <laughs> hard hitting journalism without taking it too dark. Like you really, again, like Scott said, you really know how to draw the line. With the little time we have left, I would like to ask you about what else you have going on right now because you're clearly very busy. In I would also like to ask, less. <laughs> right. I would also like to ask about some advice that you would have for someone in your position or someone looking to be in your position. But I'm not going to do either of those things. Because you tried to get away with not saying what your high school band names were, and I didn't forget. My Christian ska band, what Attack of the Giant Babies, the name didn't last yeah. very long. We changed it to Glue. GLU. Okay. To what? GLU. Glue. Okay. G- GLU. Not bad. Which was never written. God loves you, which was ah. never written like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was always green. glue. I know it's pretty. <laughs> um, I didn't think of that. I did think of Attack of the Giant Babies, and then I was in. After that, I was in a little like kind of early aughts emo, like kind of screamo-y, Thursday, further seems forever-y band called Waiting on Wednesday. So it's it was required to have a day in your name back then. Um but yeah, we played all the Texas Warp Tour dates. We played on the same stage in San Antonio as Vendetta Red and Under Oath, which was awesome. Um but yeah, so um, you did it. We didn't we let you, we made it. All right, with the with the remaining minute before we got to wrap you out, uh, please give us some advice on how someone could get to where you are today and let us know where we can find your socials or see what you have going on. And do not yeah. advise them to go to a hotel and do copious amount of drugs. No, don't do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have no advice. There's no, there's no clear-cut path, you know? Just don't give up. I mean, like, fuck it if you think you got something to say just do it and work you got to put in the work that's it like i've never i haven't had anything like come easily you got to bust your ass and put in the work to make it happen so 
if it's not happening, just keep put it, keep putting in more work. That's it. And on that note, speaking of putting in the work, I'm going to put in the work looking at your socials over and over. Tell me what they are. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I'm personally Mikey Lee rock, M I K E Y L E E R O C K everywhere. And then my production company, publishing company, whatever, everything I do creative stuff on is a burger joint everywhere. That's a B E R G E R J O I N T. And I have a, I have a charity called zero platoon, which is where I work with bands in the like emo and punk scene to reach out to people in the military who deal with mental illness. It's called zero platoon. You can find that on YouTube. I've got a lot of interviews with bands talking about how music has helped them get through shit, acoustic videos and song explanations. Um, so yeah, that's Zero Platoon. There's some cool, cool interviews and stuff on there. Man, we didn't even get to talk about so much of your stuff. We're going to have to do some sort of follow-up on the socials or something. I'd love to. Once I get Zero Platoon going again, um, when book stuff calms down, maybe there can be something Great. we do there. Yeah, Absolutely. Because in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Waldman's Words here on Adobe Radio. That's right. Air horn all day. Thank you to our host, Scott Waldman, your co-hosts, myself, Emily Burke, and Jed Fuchs. But mostly, thank you to Mr. Mike Henneberger for joining us on the show today. Thank you, guys. Hey, Mike, just a very quick way to end the show. I was once in a band called Boris Yeltsin's Underpants. Nice. Thank you. Mike, thank you so much, man. Thank you, you guys. Yeah, rocking denim jackets, stuck with these bad habits. I can't seem to take advice without feeling attacked. And sometimes I just lose it. My makeup covers bruises. To hide your eyes from all these screws that just don't seem to screw with.